And here we go. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Monday, February 3rd, 2020. Kicking off the show, Move Any Mountain by The Shaman. As always, I'm your host, Jamal Hayden. Thank you for joining us. We've got a big show to get to, of course. We will uh, recap the Super Bowl. Uh, We'll talk a little NBA. Give you my take on uh, Kobe Bryant as well. Go around a league as the trading deadline is fast approaching. And um, talk a little bit about the Mets. Um, since I think the last time we did a show, they, they hadn't hired uh, a, a new manager yet. So uh, we'll get to that as well. I'll give you my thoughts on that. Um, but we start with the Super Bowl, and I, and I picked the, that song, Move Any Mountain, uh, because Andy Reid finally got over the mountain with the Super Bowl win. Uh, Andy Reid has been one of the better regular season coaches in the NFL for a very long time now, 15-plus uh, years. You know, won a lot of games with the Eagles, made the playoffs a lot of times, uh, fell short many times. There were times when, uh, you know, the the general consensus was that his teams underachieved. You know, he had those Donovan McNabb and T.O. teams. They did make the Super Bowl that one year against the Patriots when uh, T.O. played on a badly injured ankle and actually played very well. Uh, They kind of had the fiasco there at the end with the clock management issues where, the Eagles took their sweet time when they were down two scores. Um, you know, clock management issues in general had dogged Andy Reid, uh, sort of as the kind of his one bugaboo. Um, always known as a, a an innovator offensively, an excellent offensive coach. Uh, got his start, I think I want to say, as an assistant in Green Bay when Brett Favre uh, was was you know making his bones there. Um, you know, known to be a bit of a quarterback guru. Certainly, his work with Pat Mahomes uh, would be, would back that up. But same with Donovan McNabb. I mean, remember when the when the Eagles drafted Donovan McNabb? Uh, the 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 that's his back before the draft became an unbearable uh, sideshow. When it was always in New York and fans from you know local teams, you know not local, but obviously you'd have lots of Jets and Giants fans. But 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 fans from every team would show up, and particularly the Eagles because it's not far. Uh, Philly's not far from New York, and the Eagles fans that were in attendance absolutely booed the pick mercilessly because they wanted Ricky Williams, um, whom the Saints ended up trading their whole draft for when Ditka was the coach. (laughs) That didn't go particularly well. Ricky Williams went on to have a a, a nice NFL career, but uh, Don McNabb turned out to be a very good pro quarterback. Um, You know, now look, kind of goofy, you know, would say some dumb things from time to time, but he had a very good career. Anyway, so Andy Reid, excellent resume. I mean, really good resume. And you could argue that the Chiefs really should have been in the Super Bowl last year. You know, they they essentially lost the AFC Championship game to the Patriots, you know, in overtime, right? Pats won the coin toss, took the opening kick, and went right down the field, scored a touchdown. That also was the game that featured Tom Brady throwing what should have been a game-sealing interception for the Chiefs, except D. Ford was lined up a hair off sides even though the Patriots' left tackle, Trent Brown, was also offsides or, you know, illegal formation that, of course, didn't get called. So at worst, he should have had offsetting penalties and had to run the play again. Um, And that was also the game that featured, I believe it was Chris Jones. Forget who it was for the Chiefs, but basically, you know, played patty cake with the top of Brady's shoulder pad and got called for uh, unnecessary roughness, you know, 15 yards. They got added uh, also, I think, on that drive. So... Were it not for a couple of unfortunate calls, 
Chiefs easily could have been in the Super Bowl last year, um, and I think probably would have beaten the Rams as well. Certainly probably would have given us a more entertaining game than that junk we got last year between the Patriots and the Rams. Um, But, um, so this sort of, you know, validates, if you will. And and listen, I'm not one of those folks that that, that thinks that Andy Reid needed validation by winning a Super Bowl. Um, Again, uh, my my prism is different, right? I I root for the most woebegone NFL franchise in the history of the sport, the Lions. So I'd be perfectly happy with a coach that was here for A, 10 years, and B, made the playoffs like eight out of those 10 years, and won a couple of playoff games, and maybe made it to a Super Bowl. Like, I'll take that any day of the week. So, I mean, Andy Reid, excellent resume. Good for him now, though, that he's got a Lombardi trophy that he can put up on the mantle, um, and which would probably likely cement him, I would say, as perhaps a Hall of Fame coach. I mean, look, that's an interesting question because while he's had a stellar career, is it Hall of Fame worthy? And again, it's, it all depends on one's definition of the Hall of Fame. Peter King had a good uh, piece on that in his column today, Football Morning in America. Uh, Deion Sanders, uh, whom I rarely, if ever, agree with, actually was on record last week saying he thinks the NFL Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, is a joke because they're letting every Tom, Dick, and Harry in. And I gotta be, I gotta agree with Deion on that one. I mean, I mean, listen, Andre Reid had a very nice career for the Bills, and I understand he was a key integral part of those teams that made the Super Bowl four years in a row, which is no small feat, um, even though they didn't win any of them. the lost, obviously, the heartbreaker to the Giants and then pretty much got blown out in the other three. But um, is he a Hall of Fame receiver? I mean, Steve Atwater just got in. I mean, he was a nice player, you know, big hard-hitting safety, couldn't cover me if his life depended on it. He was basically another linebacker. The hell's he in the Hall of Fame? And Peter King, who, you know, I respect a lot, had had him, voted him over Troy Polamalu. What, are you out of your mind? I mean, and he gave his explanation that he knew Polamalu was going to get in anyway. But, I mean, Troy Polamalu, that's a Hall of Fame safety. Ed Reed, that's a Hall of Fame safety. You know, you want to go all back to Dick LeBeau, Hall of Fame safety. Paul Krause. You know, but Steve Atwater? Eh. Ronnie Lott, Hall of Fame safety. You know, I mean, again, Hall of Fame should be kind of like that old senator's definition of pornography. You know, I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. I mean, same thing. You know, guys, and Dion said, you know, guys who... You had to game plan for guys who... Now, look, the NFL is a little different in that longevity should matter. See, in baseball, I think it matters less because the the, the rigors of the game are not as physically demanding as they are in football. So like Frank Gore, while nobody would confuse Frank Gore with Barry Sanders or Walter Payton or Gail Sayers or Jim Brown or Emmitt Smith even... Right, a very good player for a very good long for a very long time at a position that does not lend itself to have a career of 16 years running back the way Frank Gore did. I would have less of a problem with Frank Gore getting in because I think that that should be added as an accomplishment to play in the NFL as a running back for 16 years and be productive. I mean, he's not he's not just a guy still. He's a productive member of that Bills team this year. 
So it, it is a little tricky, but I am, I do tend to side with Dion on this topic that the, the, the criteria needs to get tightened up a little bit here. And so that brings us back to Andy Reid. Is he a Hall of Fame coach? I mean, you know, look, <laughs> it, again, it, 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 it's a good question. I, I, would, I would not put it this way. I wouldn't have a problem with him getting in. Again, been around a long time, particularly in this day and age where, you know, guys get two, three years tops and then they're out. The guy wins almost every single year. In fact, let's see if we can get Andy Reid's record. I should have, you know what? Bad job on my production staff. You guys should have had this up for me uh, before we started the show. Then, by the way, by production staff, I mean myself. But <laughs> Andy Reid's, let's see, career record. Let's take a look. Should not be that hard to get. All right. So his career record is 130-93-1. and one. So that's a 583 winning percentage. And he's 10 and 9 in the postseason. So he's been in 19 postseason games. That's a lot. Um, and then so now 140 wins total. And I guess I don't know if this includes the Super Bowl now or not. I'd love to see a season by season breakdown. Let's see if we could get that. Because that would be, you know, I, I I would just I would find that interesting. Here we go. Seasons. Let's take a look here, shall we? Uh, I mean, don't give me game by game here, guys. Can you just give me records? No? I can't just get records year by year? What? What is this nonsense? Hold on. All right. This is probably on me. It's probably user error. Let's just take a look. Hang tight. Hang. Ah, yes. Here we go. Okay. It was right there. Pro, pro, this is brought to you by our friends at profootballreference.com, by the way. All right. Andy Reid's first year as a head coach with the Eagles 5 and 11. Then he went 11 and 5, 11 and 5, 12 and 4, 12 and 4, 13 and 3. That's a pretty damn good run. One, two, three, four, five seasons, never won fewer than 11 games after his first year, which obviously his first year as a head coach, the reason he probably was the head coach because they fired the last guy, which I, I'm going to guess. No, that was probably Ray Rhodes. And so they probably had a bad year that year. So he probably took over a bad team. So one bad year, not Matt Patricia with his at least two, and now he's going to probably be on three. No, 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 no. One bad year from a 5-11 to 11-5, and then maintained it. Wasn't a fluke. 11-5, and 12-4, 12-4, 13-3, which is, I believe, the year that they made the Super Bowl. Yeah, the NFC Championships. In By the way, can you believe that that's 15 years ago? When the Eagles played in the Super Bowl against the Patriots and Terrell Owens and Donovan McNabb were the two best players on offense for that team. You believe that's 15 years ago? It's insane. Anyway, all right. Super Bowl hangover the next year is a lot of teams experience when the losing team in the Super Bowl, 6-10. and 10. Back on the beam, 10-6. and six. Then not so great, 8-8, eight and eight, but still not a losing season. 9-6-1, and one, eh, but still not awful. 11-5, and 10-6. Eight and eight, and then four and twelve, and that was his last year as a co- head coach. So his years with the Eagles, he coached there one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen years as the Eagles head coach. Three losing seasons in fourteen years. Three. I mean, that's that's pretty good, and double digit wins in one, including a Super Bowl appearance. And one, two, three, four, five, 
six, seven, eight. Eight out of those seasons, double-digit wins. And 12 wins or more, one, two, three times. And 11 wins or more, one, two, three, four, five, six times. Pretty good. It's a hell of a resume. And since he's been with the Chiefs, they went 11 and 5 and 13, 9 and 7 and 14, and now they've been 11 and 5, 12 and 4, 10 and 6, 12 and 4, 12 and 4 Super Bowl champs. AFC Championship game last year, and then lost a fluke game against Tennessee where Marcus Mariota threw a ball that clanged off a defender's face mask and then bounced back to him that he then ran in for a touchdown. Pretty good. 21 years as a head coach. Hundred thirty career, hundred thirty regular season wins. We talked about it, and I mean, look what he's done with with Kansas City: seventy-seven and thirty-five, including now a Super Bowl win. Pretty good. I think that might be Hall of Fame. I think it is, and good for him. By all accounts, a really nice man. Um, you know, endured a tragedy. I think about ten years ago. Now, one of his sons over died of a drug overdose. Um, players seem to love him. Seems to have adapted to the clock management issues. By the way, seem to have gone by the wayside. Also, you don't see that nearly as much anymore with an Andy Reid coach team. And give Andy Reid credit, knowing coaching to the moment. Chiefs went for fourth down. I think the let the least amount of times any team in the NFL this year. But last night. Down 3-0, and granted, early, first quarter, second possession of the game, I think, after they went 3-0 on their first. Fourth and one, chip shot field goal range, tied the game. Nobody would have said anything. Decided to go for it, got it, and then scored a touchdown a couple plays later. Good for Andy Reid. See, that's, that's understanding the flow of the game. That's understanding the moment. That's not just being like what a lot of NFL coaches do, which is, nope, this is who we are. This is what we do, and we're just going to be, we're just going to, I'm going to coach by rote. Because there, because that way, then nobody will ever second guess me. Because I can say that, oh, we just did what we did, but it just wasn't good enough today. It's a very Matt Patricia thing to do. And look, he's not alone in that. A lot of coaches in the NFL coach that way. Jason Garrett does that, did that. Now he's the offensive coordinator for the Giants. But very Jason Garrett-esque, very Jim Caldwell-esque, to be fair. A lot of coaches coach that way. Good for Andy Reid that he didn't. Good game. Like the game overall. Not a lot of penalties. They let the guys play. Not a lot of reviews. Not a lot of replays. No controversial knucklehead calls. It's pretty good. Well-played game, 10-10 at the half. Maybe a little lower scoring than you would have thought. You know, but that Chiefs defense has been playing very well the second half of the second half of the season. Maybe, say, the last four or five games. And then they played... Look, I understand they were down 24-0 against Houston. That was a bit of a fluke. That was special teams. They gave up a block punt for a touchdown and a turnover by the Chiefs offense set the Texans up like on, you know, on the 20-yard line. So 
The Chiefs' defense was put in impossible situations early in that game. But once the Chiefs got the lead, they clamped down, and that was that for Houston. And same thing in the Tennessee game. You know, they were down 17-7 early, and then they put the hammer down. Defense played very well in that game. So, a little bit underrated, that Chiefs' defense. And look, give the Chiefs' front office credit. Right? They... Lost Tom Bahali, Justin Houston, D. Ford. Those were their three stud pass rushers for the last, say, five years. And they retooled on the fly, and they got Frank Clark and uh, Passigno, the kid out of Villanova that A.G. and I were extolling his virtues a few years ago after the Senior Bowl, has developed into a good player. Chris Jones on the inside, stud. They remade that secondary a little bit. They got Teron Matthew this year in the offseason. Big addition to that secondary. They made the trade with Washington for one of the Fuller brothers. Decent player. They picked up Rashad Breland, also late of the Redskins. Good player. And look, they did a great dra- job in the draft. Drafting that stud rookie safety Juan Thornhill out of UVA, who unfortunately got hurt. And they didn't have him. You know, they picked up Reggie Ragland, who was a, a high, I think he's their first or second round pick of the Bills not too long ago. Kid out of Alabama. He plays on rundowns. Anthony Hitchens, former Cat, Cowboys linebacker, plays a lot for them. Damian Wilson, also another Cowboys linebacker, plays for number 54. Good player, by the way. And I understand Cowboys have good linebackers in, in Van Der Esch and, and, and uh, Jalen Smith, but they, they couldn't have figured out a way to keep that guy. Guy can play. Guy's all over the field. So it wasn't just the offense of Mahomes. I mean, listen, Mahomes is great, and he's only 24, and you would suspect he's just going to get better. And he's exciting as hell to watch. He's a lot of fun. He can run. He's got a rocket arm, makes throws from different angles. I mean, it's sort of a cross between Aaron Rodgers, Stafford, throw a little Lamar Jackson in. I mean, he's not quite the dynamic run of Lamar Jackson. It's maybe more Russell Wilson. Pretty good combo. I mean, sort of reminds me of Stafford with the arm strength and, and the different arm angles that he throws the ball from. Reminds me of Rodgers a little bit with the pinpoint accuracy. Some of these throws are ridiculous. And it also reminds you of Russell Wilson with the way he's able to move around and, and run and get big gains when he needs to. I mean, he, he's got it all. And smart. And interestingly enough, was having a terrible game last night. I mean, he played very poorly, and he'd be the first to tell you. For three and a half quarters, almost. And then on 3rd and 15, the biggest play of the game, when they had to have it, he throws a 44-yard bomb to Tyree Kill. I mean, the guy's amazing. He really is. Now, flip side of the coin, San Francisco, look, been extolling the virtues of that defense all year. It's legit. They played great. And they harassed Mahomes. I mean, he didn't play badly by accident. Give San Francisco's defense a lot of credit. They played well particularly that front, particularly Nick Bosa, but also Buckner and Armstead were all over the place. They were in his face a lot. They were chasing him around a lot. But uh, Kyle Shanahan made a massive miscalculation and error at the end of the first half there, where if he would have called timeout, good job Troy Aikman pointed this out immediately. I mean, I was thinking it too. But they're about, they're gonna, they're about to get the ball back at the end of the first half, and they're starting the ball, with the ball in the third quarter. And the score's tied at 10-10. And you got to think that eventually, I mean, listen, I understand you, you like your defense and all that. Uh, the Chiefs have shown that they're a come-from-behind team 
particularly in the playoffs, right? I mean, we, they went on a 51-7 run against Houston, okay, not that long ago. They have the best offense in the league. It, field goals ain't getting it done. And you, when you get points, you better, when you have a chance to get points against that team, you better take it. And if they would have called timeout, they would have gotten the ball back with about a minute and 30 seconds left and two timeouts. Plenty of time, by the way, to go score a touchdown, let alone a field goal. And if you manage it right, and see, this, this is why I don't, I, I, I find his argument against this uh, not, not, not a credible one. So, you know, a lot of people took it to mean that he didn't trust Garoppolo in a big spot to not make a mistake. I don't know that that's necessarily true. He claimed it wasn't. But what he said was, look, I didn't want to give the ball back to that quarterback with their three timeouts, with any time left to try and score points. I felt good at 10-10, and we were starting the third quarter with the ball. Now, my problem with that argument is that, Kyle, if your team executes the two-minute drill there properly, you're not going to give them the ball back with a lot of time left. So you've got timeouts there. And if you're concerned about that, then run the ball. That's what you do best anyway. I felt they abandoned the run way too early in that game. They should have run the ball. I mean, they had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. Where, where's, where, where, where's your running game? Start, you know, give, give the ball to Coleman. Give the, 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 the ball to, you know, the hostess with the Mostert. I mean, Raheem Mostert, give him the ball. I mean, I... I, very some curious play calling, and this is not the first time. He basically play called the Falcons right out of a Super Bowl win against the Patriots three years ago. So, and look, good coach. Don't get me wrong; he's a good coach. That San Francisco offense, which is all his, is innovative. He learned at the hands at the feet of his father, Mike Shanahan, who is an extremely good offensive coach. I'm not saying he's not, but in some of these, you know, this is nice twice now in big spots where he's made some questionable decisions. And, you know, you've got to try to get points there at the end of the first half. I'm sorry. And if you don't trust your quarterback, who you're paying $137 million to, then you got a problem. And listen, this ridiculous false narrative that they tried to craft the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl that somehow Jimmy Garoppolo is now a game manager because they didn't have to throw the ball against Minnesota and they didn't have to throw the ball against Green Bay. I mean, they ran a ball down both those teams' throats. They they stole the will of the Vikings. Big, bad Vikings defense. They pounded them on the ground. Who the hell cares if Garoppolo threw the ball four times that game? Doesn't mean he's incapable. And I'm not the biggest Jimmy G fan out there. I mean, I think he's slightly overrated. And again, can we stop with the lazy, ridiculous quarterback win-loss Numbers as some as somehow that's some sort of a stat, which of course Fox threw up on the screen last night. Jimmy Garoppolo, 23 and 4 since a 49er. How about this? Instead of being lazy, okay, how about you say the team is 23 and 4 since Jimmy Garoppolo became the starting quarterback? Because that is the accurate description. I mean, for crying out loud, even f- baseball has realized. I mean, football is the ultimate team sport. And yes, I understand quarterback's the most important position, but it's also the ultimate team sport. And to assign wins and losses to quarterbacks as if they're starting pitchers is beyond idiotic to the point where even Major League Baseball has realized that assigning wins and losses to starting pitchers is folly, particularly because of the way the the sport is managed now, where guys pitch six innings, 
you know, pat on the on the on the rear end. Thank you very much. And now we leave the game in the hands of the bullpen, even though you only threw 100 pitches and you just retired the side, you know, with nine pitches the last inning. But you hit 100 pitches, so we got to get you out of there because that's what the analytics say. So that's why Jacob Degrom could win a Cy Young back-to-back years with like 11 wins each year. Because they realize that wins and losses are out of his hands in a lot of respects. You can pitch great and not get a win. Just like a quarterback could play great, <clears throat> Matthew Stafford, and the team not get a win, and it's not because the quarterback didn't play well. So enough with this nonsense. I digress. But Jimmy Garoppolo is not a game manager. He's a good young quarterback. Still has a lot to prove. Played well at times last night. But frankly, when he had a chance to hit Emmanuel Sanders for a 50-yard bomb for a touchdown that would have put him up. Now, by the way, that would not have won the game because the Chiefs would have gotten the ball back with three timeouts, only needing a field goal to tie and send it into overtime. So that would not have won the game, which I also read incorrectly. A lot of people wrote incorrectly. No, 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 no. 40-something seconds left is what I think the Chiefs would have had with that quarterback and three timeouts and that offense. That's play- They could have scored a touchdown in that amount of time, let alone kick the field goal. And Harrison Butker, their field goal kicker, one of the best kickers in the league. So they might, not, they might have needed to only get to about the 35-yard line have a very realistic chance to tie that game and send it to overtime. But, to be fair, when Garoppolo had a chance to make a big play, he missed it. Now, he just overthrew the ball. I mean, it happens. It happens. He had the guy open. He had Emmanuel Sanders open. He missed him. The first interception he threw in the first half, you know, was bad. You know, but he had a guy bearing down on him right in his face. You know, he threw the ball late outside. You can't do that. Again, he's a young quarterback. I mean, he's 28 years old. He's not that young, but he's young in terms of he hasn't played a whole ton of games. You know, he was Brady's backup for a couple years. His first year as a starter in San Francisco, he got hurt. So he missed a bunch of time, which was last year. And he played the whole season this year. And look, he, he certainly is promising. Good enough to get his team to the Super Bowl. And again, this idea that just because they ran the ball down the Vikings and, and Packers' throats means somehow he's a game manager is idiotic. I mean, this is not Trent Dilfer on the, on the, on, on the Ravens. Okay, it's not the same thing. It's not Brad Johnson for Tampa Bay. He's better than that. So I I thought Shanahan made a huge mistake there at the end of the first half. Again, against that Chiefs team, you got to go get points if you have a chance to go get points. Now, I will say this: if I was a 49ers fan, because they were going to do sort of give up ball, they got a big run by Mostert, then. They threw a pass to Kittle that got him down about the six-yard line, five-yard line, except Kittle got called for offensive pass interference. Now, if I were a 49ers fan, I would, if, that, if, if that happened to the Lions, <laughs> I would be losing my mind. Now, here's the thing. Technically, is that offensive pass interference? Yeah, he did extend the arm, and, he definitely, and it definitely created the separation for him to go catch the ball because the D-back had pretty good coverage. However, they never call that. I mean, you never see that call, particularly in the Super Bowl. So, if I'm you know, 49ers fans out there, I, 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 I feel you. I understand. I'd be livid also. Again, technically, was it the, is it, it, could, can you make the argument for it? Is it technically probably offensive pass interference? Yeah. But I don't think you, call, you can call that there. I really don't. So, you know, again... 
that kind of absolves Shanahan a little bit. But after that, then they decided to just, you know, go into turtle mode and, and, and curl up and say that's that. But overall, I thought a very enjoyable Super Bowl. You know? I mean, could have maybe used a little more drama there at the end. Um, I also was viewing it through my Super Bowl box number, so I'm trying to see how I could get a score to be 27-17. But overall, it was good. And again, I mean, I was definitely pulling for the Chiefs. I, 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 you know, I, I don't, I, it's funny, back in the day, I disliked the 49ers. I mean, they, they broke my heart. My first real heartbreak as a football fan was 1983 New Year's Eve day when the Lions, who had won their division at 9-7, and seven, went on the road to go play Joe Montana and the 49ers. This is right when the 49ers were turning into the 49ers, right? This was like, I think the second, Bill Walsh's maybe second or third year, what was his first year, 81 or 80, maybe it was, I don't remember, but it's right in the, sort of the genesis of when the 49ers were on their way to turning into the dynasty that they turned into. So they hadn't arrived quite yet, but they had just had that big draft, I think it was 81, where they got like Ronnie Lott and Eric Wright and uh, Hicks and all those good D-backs, and I think, you know, uh, Jerry Rice wasn't there yet, I think Jerry Rice got drafted the next year, their big receiving threat then was Freddie Solomon, who I remember ended up catching what proved to be the game-winning touchdown. But in that game, the Lions had Billy Sims, who had had a monster year for them that year. But they were 9-7. San Fran was probably like an 11-win team. They were uh, they were the division winner. The Lions won uh, what back in those days was the NFC Central, where 9-7 often was, was, the, was, the, was the record that was good enough to win the division, which... Which prompted Chris Berman to, to to nickname it the NFC Norris because that was a hockey division where sort of a 500 team ended up winning the division a lot. But anyway, um, so they were they were significant underdogs going into that game. Um, it's New Year's Eve day. I've got my my Billy Sims jersey on, my white one. I had a home one and an away one. The lines were on the road, so they were wearing white and. You know, they got off to a sluggish start. San Fran got off to a hot start. It was 17-6 at the end of the first half. The Lions got the ball back. Dan- Gary Danielson was the quarterback, my guy who does all the SEC, the big SEC games now on CBS on 3.30 on Saturday. Uh, first with Vern Lundquist for a million years and now with Brad Nessler. Um, drove him t- down. Eddie Murray made a 52, I want to say, yard field goal at the end of the half. And again, Eddie Murray, one of the best kickers of, uh, of his generation, went on to win a Super Bowl with the Cowboys late in his career in the, in the early 90s. Um, but in those days, my friends, in the early 80s, 50-plus yard field goals were not the basic commonplace practice that you see now in the NFL, and particularly in an outdoor stadium and particularly in Candlestick Park, which is where the 49ers used to play in those days, where the winds constantly swirled and the field was not exactly uh, pristine. So he had made three field goals. Lions were down 17-9 at the half. And I remember thinking, we didn't really play particularly well, but you know what? We're kind of in this thing. And lo and behold, the Lions play a great second half. Billy Sims scores a touchdown to put them up 23-17. 
with about mm, four or five minutes left. Montana, of course, comes down the field, hits Freddie Solomon on a play-action pass. I'll never forget it. Ran a deep post, sucked the safeties up, play-action, perfect, you know, perfect pass right over the middle of the field, touchdown and put him up 24-23. Line still had a couple minutes left, though. And Gary Danielson, who had thrown five interceptions in that game, by the way, five, drove the lines down the field with about four seconds left. Monty Clark, then the head coach of the lines with his, you know, his bifocal reading glasses <laughs> perched on the bottom of the bridge of his nose, literally in prayer on the sideline. And Eddie Murray, one of the best kickers of his generation, had made four field goals in that game, Two or maybe even three from 50-plus yards. Again, folks, that was unheard of in 1983. Has a 43-yard field goal from the right hash. There was no way... See, again, I was young and naive. There was no doubt in my mind he was going to make this kick. It's Eddie Murray. He's the best kicker. He was our one, not our one, but he was like you know a, a fixture in the Pro Bowl for the Lions back when the Pro Bowl meant something to me. He was one of the line's best players, a great kicker. He was, he was widely thought of as the best kicker in the NFC. 43-yard field goal. Starts out a little right. Figure it's going to draw in left. We're going to get out of there with an unbelievably exciting, thrilling road victory against the 49ers and Joe Montana. And the ball just never drew. It just stayed out, missed by about three yards wide right. Kind of like Scott Norwood's miss against the Giants in the Super Bowl. Similar. And I collapsed on the living room floor. Threw up my hands in despair. And in doing so, knocked over a cheese platter that my mother had put out. Because <laughs> it was New Year's Eve day. Which she was thrilled with. And started hysterically crying. Not going to lie. 14 years old. That was the day I was lionized, my friends. <laughs> All right, we'll take a short break. We'll be back with the NBA right after this. Okay, we're back here on the post-Super Bowl Monday night edition of Jamal About Sports. So our focus now and our attentions now turn to the NBA, where the trade deadline is moving up on us pretty quickly here. We're past the halfway mark as far as games played are concerned. Uh, we'll do a run through the league. We're going to talk about the Nets and the Knicks. And then we'll run around the league, uh, take a look at some news and notes around a league and which teams have a chance to, to go far and, and which teams are, you know, sort of the contenders and pretenders, if you will. But I want to start about with uh, on Kobe Bryant. Uh, obviously died uh, tragically in a helicopter crash last week. He's now, you know, a week old. Um, and, you know, the outpouring of... Uh, you know, sympathy and tributes and all kinds of stuff. Um, and this ain't going to be popular, but uh, this is so over the top, it's hard to fathom. Until you take a look at where we are today as a society where groupthink has set in and critical analysis is completely out the window and looking at things in their totality has gone by the wayside. Now, was Kobe Bryant a phenomenal basketball player? Yep. 
would it appear that later in his life, he was only 41, but let's call it the last five years or so since his retirement, he seems to have grown up. He seemed to have grown up and matured and been a very loving and supportive father. Absolutely. No question about it. And good for him. Good for him. But there's also the sexual assault case that's on his record that I don't think I heard mentioned once by anyone. That's clearly the most egregious of his uh, misdeeds, if you will. But you could also add in the fact that from a pure basketball standpoint, and as a player, he was widely disliked by most of his teammates, particularly early in his career, and his coaches. Widely seen as a spoiled brat and a ball hog early in his career. The, you know, rift between he and Shaq was real. And I understand Shaq now has come out and said, you know, look, and listen, age and time and maturity have a way of doing that. And I think that's great. I really do. I think it's great that Shaq said, you know what, I I, I feel bad now about that. And I wish, you know, all that stuff is petty. And, and, that's, and that's great. And hindsight and age and wisdom gives you the ability to do that. But, you know, when you're in the moment, it's hard to see the forest for the trees, so to speak. And I think most people would tell you that Kobe was the problem, not Shaq. I think Phil Jackson is on record in one of his books as saying that. Now, the sexual assault case, I mean, listen, at, at best, he cheated on his wife and it got out in the public, right? That's, that's, that's the best, at best, that's what that scenario was at worst he raped a girl okay now it was settled out of court he issued a public apology to her he claimed it was consensual he said you know gave paid probably large sums of money that the case itself was handled about as poorly as possible the judge let all kinds of rules be violated including the girl's sexual history to be used in court, which it's not supposed to. Uh, I even think at at one point uh, there were leaks there. The whole thing was handled poorly. And she probably realized, look, I am fighting a battle that I cannot win. You know, they called into question. They basically made her look like a slut, essentially, and that, like, she somehow deserved it, right? That's essentially what the defense's argument was. Of course, Kobe hired a woman to be his defense attorney, and then he issued a public apology saying that he's very sorry he was very sorry and that his impression and her impressions were he realizes now that her impression was very different than his impression. And maybe that's true. Maybe it is. But it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. And just because someone dies in a very sad and tragic manner doesn't mean that it didn't happen. And I'm not saying you pile on and say he's the worst human being in the world and that nobody should be sad and nobody's allowed to mourn his death. Of course not. But can we view the person's life in its totality and perhaps stop now all of a sudden? I mean, I was unaware that Kobe Bryant was somehow a cross between Stephen Hawking, Nelson Mandela, and Gandhi. I I didn't know. Wow. Wow. But, I mean, you hear some of these tributes and that's what you'd think. 
I mean, it's ridiculous. It's so over the top. And guys changing their numbers, getting, you know, if they wore 24, they're getting rid of it. Or if they wore number eight, for some reason he wore two different numbers while he was with the Lakers. Uh, you know, we had the golf yesterday. They had to put the number eight and 24. I mean, it's it's a little much, fellas. Kyrie Irving was so distraught that he couldn't play a game. The rest of his teammates could, but of course he couldn't. He was so distraught, he had to walk off and go go away. Kyrie Irving, who's never played with Kobe Bryant, never played on the same team as him, but somehow he's so distraught. And we'll get to Kyrie Irving in a second. But, I mean, Jimmy Kimmel couldn't have uh, a studio audience because he was so uh, racked with grief. I mean, I mean, listen, I don't want to tell anybody how to grieve. Everybody has their own process. Apparently, Kimmel and Kobe were good friends. And I'm not saying it's not sad. It is sad. Of course it's sad. You know what's really sad is that his 13-year-old daughter died and the other seven people that were also in a helicopter who died, including the pilot. That's also really sad. You don't hear much about them, though. The whole situation is sad. Of course it is. And again, I'm not saying he's the worst human being in the world. But the over-the-top plaudits, to me, is just a little much. It's a little much. And really, what it does for me, anyway, is it, 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 it... brings up the age-old existential question, which is, can someone do a horrible thing? And that's if you are inclined to think that he did sexually assault that girl. Can someone do something horrible without being a horrible human being? And that's for that person to try to decide. That's for whomever else to try to decide. But I, I, Because again, by all accounts, he did a lot of growing up. And a lot of maturing. And good for him. In all sincerity, good for him. That's great. It really is. I mean, the, 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 the thing we should all as a society and as a, as, a, as a people try to do is grow. Listen, I, it's a struggle for me every day. I'm not going to lie. Try to be a little bit better. But again, you know, it, it, and, 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 and I'm, I'm really, I'm not even criticizing him. I'm criticizing, so don't misinterpret. I'm not really criticizing him. I'm criticizing the reaction. And it also speaks to this country's obscene obsession with celebrity. I mean, it's off the charts. All right, moving on. Speaking of Kyrie and the Nets, (laughs) so I talked about that where, you know, listen, I I think anybody's ever listened to the show and heard me talk about the NBA knows that I do not like Kyrie Irving at all. And in fact, were it not for him joining the Nets, I would probably firmly be a Nets fan now and would have forsaken the Knicks. But I cannot abide being a diehard Nets fan as long as Kyrie Irving plays for that team. Can't do it. Can't do it. And I understand, you know, so why is it, I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie looked up to Kobe Bryant too. He changed his number from 8 to 26, which I thought was dumb. But okay, if that's what he wants to do, that's what he wants to do. That's Spencer Dinwiddie's business. Go ahead and let him do it. 
But Spencer Dinwiddie grinded it out and played the game. The whole rest of the team played. Why is everybody else plays, but Kyrie's allowed to go do his own thing? See, this is why you're never going to win with Kyrie Irving as your top dog. You can't have it. Kyrie Irving is all about Kyrie Irving. And if success happens to fit into his narrative and his agenda, well, then that's great, but it's really just about Kyrie Irving. You watch him play, it's all about Kyrie Irving. Talk about a ball hog. I mean, he's unwatchable. Talented is all get out. No question about it. Doesn't matter. And I'm watching a game the other night where they had a terrible loss to Washington, where they had big leads several times, blew the game late, and Kyrie Irving goes up, gets a rebound. By the way, I thought he got fouled by Bradley Beal. I thought it was ridiculous. Bradley Beal grabbed him, basically slammed him down on the ground. Now, I understand at the end of the play, he they both had their hands on the ball, but early in it, he didn't. He raked him across the arm. But okay, the refs missed it, if you want to say. That's fine. They... They go to the ground. Kyrie Irving got his, his knee bent back a little bit in, 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 the, in the process. You would He went down. <laughs> you would have thought he got shot by a sniper from the top row of the, bleach, of the nosebleed seats, writhing, rolling around for like 10 minutes. I mean, such a drama queen. I mean, and then meanwhile, he gets up under his own power. He limped off the court. He's going to be out like a week, maybe 10 days. I mean, please. Oh, please. Like, you know, you, you would have, th- the way he reacted, you thought, forget it. He blew out his ACL. He blew out his MCL. You know, his career's over. I, I just, I just can't with this guy. I really can't. I mean, he just, he's just, he, he just, everything about him rubs me the wrong way. Everything. And before that, you know, he had a monster game against the, the Hawks, who are terrible. And he had 54 points, and he, you know, it was his tribute to Kobe because I guess he was finally over. You know, he he, was fi- he finally de- deigned, you know, he de- graced everybody with his presence and played. Um, but, you know, that junk works against the Hawks. You know, be- playing hero ball and being a ball hog and shooting it all the time, that'll work against a bad team like the Hawks. It's not going to work against the good teams. It's not going to work against Boston. It's not going to work against Milwaukee. Not going to work against Philly. Not going to work. And I'm also starting to question whether or not Kenny Atkinson knows what the hell he's doing. I understand everybody likes Kenny Atkinson. He has a good reputation. And the Nets had a nice year last year. I think maybe maybe they exceeded some expectations. And he's a good guy. And I want to like him. Believe me, I want to like him. But I've seen too many games this year with the Nets where late in games, two things happen. They let the other team's best player beat them. And then when they need to get, when they're in desperate need of a basket, now part of this is Kyrie's fault, right? And that's not Kenny Atkinson because the NBA is a player's league. So I get it. But when the Nets are in desperate need of a basket, they cannot get a good shot off to save their lives. So that part, when when, when Kyrie's on the floor, I can't put that on Kenny Atkinson because Kyrie will dribble around for 22 seconds and then launch you know, an off-balance 22-footer. Or have, you know, an unbridled, as Clyde <laughs> Clyde Frazier would say, you know, an out-of-control, unbridled drive to the basket, you know, and try to throw up a ridiculous shot amongst the trees, right, with three guys converging on him. And, I mean, what's Kenny Atkinson going to do? They just gave this guy a huge contract. He's supposed to be the star of the team. What's he going to do? Is he going to take the ball out of his hands? Now, I would. 
I would if you're gonna if Kyrie Irving's gonna be on his team and Spencer Dinwiddie's gonna be on his team, and uh, listen, I understand Spencer Dinwiddie is is a tweener and more of a scorer too, but he's a better facilitator and playmaker than Kyrie Irving. I would play them together. I would play Kyrie off the ball, and I would let Dinwiddie essentially be the point guard. And Dinwiddie's got the length and the size that he can guard the other team's two guard. And Kyrie can guard the other team's point guard. So it doesn't hurt you that way. Because Dinwiddie's like a solid 6'5 with long arms. I mean, the Nets recently have lost to the Knicks and the Sixers. I mean, come on. I mean, not the Sixers. And the, the Wizards. I mean, come on. I mean, look, Nets got to go here. I mean, I understand they're sort of, you know, on the fringes and supposing next year is going to be the year because they're going to have Durant and Kyrie back. There's no guarantees. Kyrie's hurt all the time. And who knows what kind of player Durant's going to be next year coming off a major Achilles injury. Now, I'm not saying the Nets are contenders, but they should be better than the seventh or eighth seed. I mean, they got enough good players, even without Kyrie. They got enough good players. Karis LeVert, Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, Jared Allen. Uh, who's the other guy? Who else am I missing? Anyway, they should be better, especially in the East, which is not that good. All right, moving on to the Knicks. Trade deadline approaching. There's rumors now they may be looking at D'Angelo Russell, who, you know, after looking like he was going to be a flameout, we talked about him a lot last year and how much he improved for the Nets. Now he's out in Golden State. Might not hate it. I mean, he's still like 23 years old. Knicks need a point guard in the worst way. I mean, I would say this, though. He's got a max contract. If I were the Knicks, just let Dennis Smith play the rest of the year, please. I mean, he wasn't great the other night. He got the start because Alfred Payton got suspended because he shoved Jay Crowder because Jay Crowder had to be an idiot and take a three-pointer when his team was up 20 with, you know, 20, whatever. Just dumb all the way around. Dumb by Alfred Payton, dumb by Jay Crowder. But Payton got suspended for a game. And Frank Nilkina is hurt, supposedly. So they gave Dennis Smith the start. And he wasn't great, but he made two big baskets in the fourth quarter against Indiana. It had actually a rare upset win on the road against a good Pacers team. He had six assists. He, you can here, Here's the thing with Dennis Smith Jr. First of all, also super young, right? 23 years old. Uh, you can see the talent is there. Now, again, to quote my man, Walker Clyde Frazier, is he unbridled? Yeah, he's unbridled a lot. But when you see, he can finish at the rim when he's under control. Okay? He can play defense when he puts his mind to it. He's supremely athletic. He's got, you know, he plays with a burst. Look, this whole year got derailed from the beginning when he got hurt in training camp. His stepmother died. He took time off to, to, to grieve and to tend to that. Okay? Then he got hurt again with an oblique injury. I mean, it's been a washout of a year. I would not be so quick to give up on him. They're talking about trading him now. You're going to get, what, 50 to 75 cents on the dollar max? Your season's going nowhere anyway. Let him play the rest of the year to see if maybe he is the guy. You just traded Porzingis for him last year. And by the way, I am not at all upset that the Knicks got rid of Porzingis. Porzingis is not a transformational player. He's not a foundational player. He's not a lead dog. He's a 7-3 shooting guard, basically what he is. Now, he's still young. I get it. But you get the impression that he's always going to be hurt. He's never going to give you an 82-game season. And I understand in today's NBA, nobody plays 82 games anymore because we have load management now. But 
I have no issues in the fact the Knicks got rid of Porzingis. None. None. Knicks wouldn't be any better with Porzingis. They'd be four or five games better. They have 13 wins, so they'd have 15, 16, 18 wins right now. Big deal. Dallas is a good spot for him. He can he can play second fiddle to Donkic down there, and, and it'll be a nice spot. And he can play 60 games a year there and have 10 really good games, you know, 10 awful games, and 20, you know, decent games. That's basically what you're going to get from Porzingis. So I have no problem with that. But you may as well hang on to Dennis Smith Jr. It makes no sense to dump him now. None. Season's going nowhere anyway. Nowhere. May as well hang on to him. I mean, listen, unless somebody's going to give you something good for him, but I don't see why anybody would. I mean, you got to be out of your mind. All right, let's just quickly go around the NBA. So I think I had this, this was part of a theme on an earlier show, uh, and, 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 and it hasn't changed much. The NBA overall product is lousy. I mean, it's lousy. Over half the teams in the league are under 500, people. Over half. Let's go to the standings right now. I mean, and and the and the East, in particular, is is laughable. I mean, look at we're gonna go by division here, just just to give you a little flavor. So we'll start in the Eastern Conference, the Atlantic Division. All right, Raptors having a nice season, thirty six and fourteen. They won eleven in a row. Boston thirty three and fifteen. Philly thirty one and nineteen. By the way. You saw Embiid missed a bunch of time. Simmons played much better without him. I think I had that. I think I said that last year in the playoffs. They're both great players. Don't get me wrong. But they do not play well together. Because Simmons doesn't shoot from outside. And you don't want Embiid, even though he can make a three occasionally, you don't want him camping out outside either. So when they're on the court together, kind of clogs things up. Doesn't space the floor particularly well. Uh, if I were the Knicks, I'd see if perhaps I could get Joel Embiid. But anyway, those two, I, I, not in it for the long term. Can't have a 6'11 point guard who can't shoot, and the other best player on your team is is uh, center, who's 7'2. Anyway, uh, Nets 21 and 27. The Knicks are 14 and 36. All right, so that's two teams so far, right, out of what? Are there 30 teams? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. 10. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Yeah, 15 teams. So that's 2 under 500. Go to the Central. Bucks, best team in the East, maybe in a league, 42 and 7. Pacers, 31 and 18. Bulls, 19 and 33. Pistons, 18 and 33. Cavaliers, 13 and 37. Now we've got five teams so far under 500 in the East. Go to the Southeast. Miami, 33 and 15. Orlando, 21 and 28. Wizards, 17 and 31. Charlotte, 16 and 33. The Hawks, 13 and 37. The Knicks are atrocious. And they don't even have the, at 14 and 36. And they're two teams worse than them. Two. That's how bad the East is. So out of 15 teams in the East, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 of them are under 500, and most of them considerably so. The only one kind of close are the Nets at 21 and 27. And I guess Orlando at 21 and 28. But I mean, the rest of these teams are garbage. I mean, they're just awful. And then you go out to the West, you got the Nuggets at 34 and 16 in the Northwest Division. 
Jazz are 32 and 17. The Thunder are 30 and 20. Now, you got the Blazers are 23 and 27. Probably should be better than their record. They've got the two studs in McCollum and Lillard, right? But 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 Jurkic is hurt, so that hurts them. You know, they're playing Carmelo Anthony big minutes, so you need to kind of know about that team. And then Minnesota, 15 and 33. In the Pacific, you got the Lakers and the Clippers, two best teams in, in the West, by the way. Then the Phoenix, who I keep hearing how great they're going to be every two seconds. They're 20 and 29. Sacramento, another team I keep hearing is supposed to be great every two seconds, 18 and 31. Golden State, 11 and 39. As we said earlier, we'll forgive them that. Their whole team's hurt. Rockets are 31 and 18. Dallas, 30 and 19. The Grizzlies are almost 500 at 24 and 25. They're playing very well lately. John Morant, who I was dying for the Knicks to get the stud point guard out of Murray State, is playing great for them. Put on a show in the Garden last week. And then the Spurs are 22 and 26. They're kind of grinding their way back into the mix a little bit. But we've talked about many times about this is not a vintage Spurs team. And then New Orleans is 20 and 30. So you've got in the West, so nine teams in the East. In the West, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 17 out of 30 teams in, in, the, in the whole league are under 500. More than 50%. I mean, it's, it's, it's not good, folks. It's not good. Teams literally combine for like 93-point shots taken now in a game. You know, it, it, defense has been, been legislated out of the game. Every, every little hard foul has to be stopped and reviewed to see if it's a flagrant. They now have the, the temerity, the gall, to call fouling a three-point shooter a flagrant foul now. If you don't give him his landing space, James Harden, the most unwatchable player in the league. I mean, it's just it's just not a good product. I'm sorry. It's not. Now, are there some wonderful players in this league that, that are worth watching? Sure. Absolutely. Antetokounmpo's great player. Fun to watch. LeBron, still fun to watch. Anthony Davis. Ky- uh, Kawhi Leonard. Absolutely. I still like Westbrook. I know I'm crazy. Luka Doncic, phenomenal. John Morant, talked about him. Great. Zion Williamson came back. He's been playing great so far, even on a a minutes restriction, which is understandable given the nature of his injury. But he's looked like an unbelievably dynamic player, certainly you know the next kind of superstar in the league. Very very early, but the early returns are phenomenal. So there's, there's a lot of fun players to watch, but overall... The quality of the sport and the league, way down. Way down. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check us out on SoundCloud, jamalaboutsports.com. Check me out, check me out or hit me up on Twitter, at jamalaboutsportnos. Till next time, peace out.